So today's topic is uh, potential changes to section 504. And um, I have put a link at the top of the room that tells you about these potential changes to section 504 and what it's all about, where it's coming from. Basically, um, this is from the Office of uh, Education, the D Department of Education. And uh, it says that the United States did a study to determine the impact of COVID-19 on student learning and found that students are about five months behind in math and four months behind in reading. And if you're a minority student or come from a low income school, the gaps in learning are even greater. Additionally, parents reported increased mental health concerns for their children after COVID-19. The White House proposed, is proposing some solutions to find a broader, way, broader ways to address mental health issues. And their plan includes about five points. The first is that they wanna find ways to limit social media use by children because they found that uh, a high level of social media in, uh, um, usage does cause later mental health struggles and that um, they want to prevent this by preventing social media platforms from collecting data on children. Uh, another second point is that they want to invest money to expand mental health services. Uh, that would always be a good thing, of course. Um, and then the third thing is that they want to expand particularly funding for early childhood mental health programs because they found that most mental health concerns began before age 14 and even as young as preschool. Uh, this is their answer for addressing school discipline problems that have resulted as after COVID-19. And although that's not directly stated, um, it, you can see that it is a goal uh, because there are lots of reports that disciplinary violations have sharply increased and a lot of uh, social justice advocates are very highly um, upset that and, and bringing it to attention that um, the more you have the school discipline, for example, the SROs and things that that creates uh, a school to jail pipeline is the way they term it. So there's also the, a fourth um, thing that they want to do is increase funding for special education and Title I. And then finally, the third, the fifth thing in this mental health initiative is to require Section 504 to provide compensatory services. And, and this happened because there was a case in Los Angeles USD. There were so many people suing or filing uh, complaints with the Office of Civil Rights about the schools not opening in uh, California, that they could not even get to all the cases. So they made a resolution that uh, that the U.S. the U.S. government basically tried to force California to open their schools by forcing them to provide compensatory services. In these cases, where parents were complaining, they complained that remote learning did not offer equal access to students with disabilities. So that was the really big thing that happened because of COVID. Uh, I'll say that again, because that I think is a really important point. 
um, the, their complaints were that the remote learning did not offer equal access to students with disability, which is what Section 504 is supposed to provide. Um, and so that sounds a lot like any of us who are in Texas with, with House Bill 4545. As much as we don't like House Bill 4545, it did prevent the state of Texas from experiencing something that was like what California provided or what happened to California. So, um, but of course, Texas and California are very different places. California was very cautious about opening and Texas was not as um, cautious or careful. So the United States government, um, so, so they are announcing that you can, you can suggest some changes yourself and you can go to a um, you can just email section 504 at ed.gov and they want to hear your opinions of how section 504 should change so um i that's the link on the top of the page kind of explains all that it takes you to a link which takes you to the web, the email that i just told you which is again section 504 at ed.gov. Just go in there, you get a nice little email and reply. I tried it myself, made some suggestions to how Section 504 should change. So um, when they were looking at changes for Section 504, some of the things they were worried about are, um, or their major concerns were, is that they found out that children with disabilities had higher rates of incomplete assignments and class failures lower rates of graduation and college enrollment. Um, and they also found that Section 504 was underutilized in low-income communities and by people of color. Whites were two times as likely to have a Section 504 plan. And they also are discussing the fact that there is no money to educate the parents about their rights for their children with section who could qualify for Section 504, uh, even when it comes down to gender, boys are twice as likely to have a Section 504 plan than girls, which brings up a whole Title IX situation. And then there is really no real regulation of Section 504. We don't know how much it costs. We're not required to report on the many things in Section 504 like we are in special education with all the compliance and data that we're required to collect. Uh, and there is also one of the things that I'm also often concerned about is that there's often no funding for children to see doctors or get medication, especially related to ADHD. Sometimes I have students uh, testing, I know this is under special education, but it could also apply to 504 where we do find the child has ADHD or suspect a child has ADHD and the child does not, is on Medicaid and there is no doctor in the neighborhood that will take a new um, evaluation for ADHD um, as a new, new patient. And so then, you know, you have to jump through all kinds of hoops to maybe go to MHMR and um, it just can be a headache. Or then you have the kids who, have a diagnosis and just don't take medication because they don't have any um, 
any health insurance to do that. Um, so, you know, then again, as I said, mentioned before, there are a lot of concerns about uh, school resource officers, which have shown to be an, an which has shown to increase the school to jail pipelines. And they, instead, they're proposing that there be more investment in school counselors, therapists, and psychologists. Um, also, there was a concern that Section 504 does apply to extracurricular activities where special education doesn't. So there's a cost that goes along with that oftentimes. Um, and that's, you know, that's often outside of the school day as well. Uh, and some other things to think about is that there are a few things that schools have to do in order to show that they are providing Section 504 or are are com um, complying with Section 504 services. And if they don't show those, they could forfeit uh, federal funding if they're found not to be compliant. And they have to provide, um, and like I said, some of that com being compliant is actually providing compensatory, compensatory services. So it's not compensatory, they don't have to provide compensatory education just because they didn't get it during um, during the, the COVID time, like we do with special education, if they didn't make progress, it's if you show that it is discriminate if the if there was discrimination because they didn't provide the accommodations. So um, other notes, let's see uh, that I had about this that there was there have been a couple of court cases about Section five hundred four versus special education, just in case, you know, that's always hard to explain to parents and um, can be confusing. Well, it made it all the way up to, you know, the, the federal courts. Uh, one time in 1993, there was a case called Lyons versus Smith, where they argued that a child with Section 504 should, should receive special education services. And um, the decision was that um, they explained that if a student with a disability has a disability and a need for special education services, it could be provided to him under IDEA. So the federal courts echoed the preposition 20 years ago by stating that it believed that the only students likely to be entitled to special education services under 504 are the same as the students who are entitled to special education under IDEA. So that's why you do not need special education and a Section 504 as well, or why you can't just get special education under a 504. And let's see, the these are all also related to proposals to amend Americans with Disability Act altogether uh, to expand coverage to Title I of the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is designed to prevent discrimination for qualified individuals in the workplace due to disability. So, um, yeah, if I was just hoping to hear from any of you, if you had ideas for how to to improve Section 504, what are some of the things that you would want to put in this email? What one of the things that I did put in my email is that maybe the government should offer vouchers through the schools where they could make a contract with a community physician and uh, that physician could receive vouchers from the school to see a child to maybe 
look at an ADHD evaluation or maybe get ADHD medication or maybe get hearing aids or some other kinds of services that only doctors and clinical um, places could provide. And, you know, there would be a certain number of vouchers and they could just use those vouchers and, and um, until they run out. That was my idea. But I'd love to hear from any of you if you have ideas. I know Section 504 is a hot topic with dyslexia. Um, many people believe that um, dyslexia should just be provided under Section 504. It does not need to be um, provided through special education. And that is an ongoing debate. And the, apparently um, the argument that it could be provided through special education is um, not winning when it comes to what the Office of Special Education uh, believes because the Office of Special Education wrote a memo to Mike Brandt saying that, uh, that, that dyslexia services could be considered specialized instruction, in which case it would be provided, it would need to be provided through special education. So, um, but I'm sure that that debate is continuing. And of course, there always will be some kids who do get uh, dyslexia services through 504 when their parents especially do not want special education services. That could be one, one situation. So um, just love to hear any comments to see if there's, there's no chats, um, no hand raise. I can I have a few more notes. I can um, just read through those in case you guys are still thinking about what if you want to contribute any comments to this topic. Um, let's see. I thought it was important to remember in Section 504 um, that Section 504 is not for the purpose of overcoming a disability. It's not even for maximizing your performance in the, with the disability but it is for preventing discrimination because of the disability. Um, and the schools cannot be excused from making accommodations that would result in a fundamental alteration or, or the, sorry, schools can be excused from making accommodations that would result in fundamental alteration or the nature of a program. In Southeastern South Community College versus David in 1979, and um, that's a major difference between Section 504 and IDEA. Um, they could exclude you from if the needs are too expensive. Again, that's different from uh, special education. And the presence of a child, um, if a presence of a child could create a risk to other children or themselves, the ch such as, for example, a child with a visual impairment being in a chemistry lab um, that might see as seem that could become a safety issue, then they can't exclude the child from a situation like that, which again would not, um, you know, in special education, you would try to provide find ways to have the child to have some kind of access to that chemistry lesson or, or whatever. But um, under Section 504, it's a little different. Hey, Lori, what do we got for us? Hey, can you hear me? Yeah. I always, it takes me forever to remember how to turn the microphone on. Um, I, you know, my background mostly, you know, is in dyslexia in under 504 in that setting. And then I, you know, did become a diagnostician and all that. But um, I, it has, you know, the more 
knowledge that I've gained, it has, you know, become confusing to me as to how we got started in Texas, you know, providing services under 504, so to speak, whenever it seems that it's clear that the 504, um, you know, plan is for accommodation, not a service. So that has always puzzled me. Like, how do we provide services under 504 whenever it's supposed to just be providing accommodations to, um, you know, even the playing field? And then my other comment was, is um, I, I feel like there is um, a move underway to um, provide just the dyslexia services, you know, through Gen Ed as like a tier three that um, that there wouldn't be even a label required, a formal evaluation required. I feel like there's kind of a move going in that direction. Um, just, you know, if the students, you know, are struggling with those, you know, phonemic awareness, decoding, and um, not getting it with all the other interventions we're trying. And, and then that, that would just be one of the considerations for the, the uh, you know, intervention support team or whatever, RTI team, to um, place them in a, you know, with a teacher that, you know, provides a dyslexia curriculum, an Orton-Gillingham type program, without a label. So I feel like that's kind of where we're heading. I don't know. It could be wrong. But anyways, those were just my comments. Nothing factual, but I'd love to hear anybody else's comments on that. So I've thought a lot about that. <clears throat> and I, one of the things I keep going back to is that you know, 10% of children are left-handed. We don't call them disabled. We give them left-handed desks and left-handed scissors, and we might not have them write in a binder with those um, rings in the middle because those get in their way or what have you. You know, we find ways to teach them and we don't call them disabled. And I worry that there are reports that 25 and 20 percent of children are considered as having dyslexia, where the research shows that if you use programs like Orton-Gillingham types of programs, uh, where you have a strong phonemic base, it's multisensory, and so on, that you would probably get only about, well, the research shows, some research studies I've seen 3%, some say 6%, but it's somewhere around the 3 to 6% that would actually struggle with reading by third grade if, this, if these kinds of programs were used, which means that we're not using the right types of reading instructions special and we're not screening and intervening early enough so in order to um it, you know if you refer to special education or even to 504 there are hoops to jump through and i don't know if you've seen you've probably seen those pictures that try to explain the difference between equality and equity in education and the equity one pictures you know they're you know it's not just that you give the the short kid a step to look over the look over the fence, you take the fence away altogether. And so by providing some of these instructional services under general education and intervention, you're basically taking that fence away. And I think that's the, the social justice, you know, type of um, goal that they hope to achieve by, you know, by promoting the science of reading in younger grades and um, and, you know, 
finding ways to retrain teachers. You know, like I said, there's this new certification that we have to get where we're doing more science of reading to, uh, strategies from early earlier ages. We're screening better, we're screening earlier. Um, so that that's all an attempt to remove those fences, basically, those barriers and not have to have kids one one researcher I read said it's like you're running on a track and the inside um, the inside lanes don't have the hurdles to run over, but the outside lanes do. And some kids are running with those hurdles in the way. And so we could just take the hurdles away and they could, you know, run on the track like the rest of the kids. So that's those are that's one analogy I've heard for sure. Anyone else have any comments to any of that? Yeah, this, and then, you know, the, the dyslexia can be, it's legal to provide um, dyslexia under under our Section 504. It's, it is legal, but you have to have offered a special education evaluation and you have to have offered special education services and parents have to have turned it down. Um, and the problem, states, the state does not want the f people, or really the federal government does not want um, people or kids to get services like that under, which basically is specialized instruction. They don't want them to get that under Section 504 for one main reason, is that the agency that deals with compliance for Section 504 is the Office of Civil Rights. And I don't know if you've ever gone through a Office of Civil Rights um, investigation, but it is very thorough very long, very tedious. Uh, and so it, it requires a lot of resources from the federal government to conduct those investigations. And But if you're receiving these special education services through special education, well, the enforcing agency is the state, Texas Education Agency, a hearing officer, and so on. So then the state's responsible for paying for it. Uh, so you can see why the federal government is buckling down on the states to provide these services through special education, especially in a situation like what happened in California, where so many, um, so many parents filed complaints that their children were not getting equal access to education because of the um, because of the the COVID nineteen and the schools not being open and there being virtual learning. So that's here. All right. Maria says, what happens in a 504 when you do not agree as a parent with a 504, with a 504, uh, agree as a parent with a 504 uh, evaluation for dyslexia? Let's see. I'm trying to understand the question. What happens in 504 when you do not agree as a parent with a 504 evaluation for dyslexia? So, right, so say you, you they did a, sex, a um, evaluation. Well, first of all, now we have to do the evaluations under special education. So then that would be going through the same hearing officers and things when there's a disagreement. But any disagreements that do happen under 504, they would file an, with the Office of Civil Rights. I actually filed a complaint in the Office of Civil Rights for my brother who has a disability one time. It wasn't with the school systems, he's an adult. But <clears throat> wow, it was like a nine month investigation and they were gathering all kinds of things. They did a long interview with me and my mother, like, and they, 
finally at the end of the nine months of gathering all this information, they sent me a letter. So yeah, Office of Civil Rights investigations are really no joke and schools really don't want any part of them. <clears throat> all right, we said, Lori says, uh, the parent is not a mandatory member of the Section 504 committee. Oh, I didn't know that. Interesting. So um, any other comments? Um, and, you know, all of this is, the important thing is to realize that this is, that COVID-19 really did sort of put a spotlight on the disparities in education. Those disparities were there before, but it just really shined a spotlight in, in the disparities between, you know, for, for children with who are minorities, children disadvantaged communities, um, people with color, low income, and so on. Um, ESL students as well. So uh, that that's, you know, something that people are just getting riled up about. Oh, she says, Lori says it's best practices to have a parent participate in Section 504 meeting, but not, not statute. Um, and Maria says, so in Section 504, who are the members to, that need to? Um, I think it's just like people coming together and put documenting what basically, because a doctor is usually the one documenting or clinical um Clinical providers usually when providing some kind of documentation that the child has a disability and making some suggestions of what kinds of accommodations are needed. And then teachers may say, well, yeah, I also use these. And so just, everybody's trying to document what those what those are. But it is a different um, take on, you know, 504 and special education are definitely two different um, balls of wax in several ways. So. All right, I'm just trying to see if I have any more notes. I made so many notes and I kind of skipped around in all my notes, so I just going to make sure. You know, I thought one good idea might be that we actually hire 504 coordinators. It has a lot of work to keep track of all the kids who are in 504 um, plans and make sure parents are aware of what, that there are 504s available to students with disabilities, um, keeping track of making sure that they're implemented. I mean, how many people are like, I don't want my kid on a 504, rather than in special education because there's just no enforcement. Um, so that's often a, 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 and Lori says that every campus has to have a 504 coordinator. Yes, I know, but there are also something else. They're like, the, they're the AP or they're the counselor or they're the, so, and they've got, they're, you know, they have multiple roles and it's not always that you have a section 504 coordinator that's just a section 504 coordinator so many hats yes all righty well i guess just make sure you go to section 504 at e.gov and put in your opinion of how section 504 should be changed because hey maybe it will bring more um more funding and help with some of the discipline issues that we've been experiencing i know some Middle school and high school are just really tired of all the MDRs that are happening as a result of COVID, the increased MDRs. Um, and, you know, the elementary level, you, for, for sure, too, the, the, the assistant principals and counselors are just having to deal with so many so social emotional struggles with, from kids after COVID. So maybe, you know, the extra funding will help all of that. Maybe some extra funding will end up going to um, some kinds of 
some kinds of uh, intervention plans for kids. I'm trying to get you up here as well. Here, invite to speak. Here we go. Sorry, I didn't get too fast enough. <laughs> here we go. Hey, Zervania. Hello there. How are you doing? Good. Did you have some ideas for how to change Section 504? Every time she gets on here for a phone call, the phone goes off. Please don't let that happen again. (laughs) So so this is what I was thinking. Like I was was thinking about like how I did not know as much about 504 as I know about like um, IEPs and ARDS. And because I've been in like the special education world, like either as a, as a teacher or as a diagnostician. But in reality, I actually have a son who's on a 504 plan. So I can tell you how often it is that we're actually, you know, how um, under, you know, um, anyone with an IEP that they, you know, you get your your progress, um, progress reports and updated IEP. I get very little data on like what happens with my son if those accommodations are actually followed. Um, like very little data at all. Like there was a reason why I wanted a plan for him. There's a reason why I wanted, you know, um, uh, to make sure that his needs as a student with ADHD were met. Were met. But as uh, and he's a high schooler now, I can tell you that I do wish that there were a true one person that was designated as a true 504 coordinator and not just uh, a counselor with like everybody with a whole bunch of hats on. Right. Because I don't get as much back. And it's not that I, I would want as a weekly thing like he's not a kindergartner but it would have been helpful to know if the accommodation that we were that we suggested if they were actually being utilized um like they were supposed to and if they were being effective or if we were just making this plan to put something on paper each year um mm-hmm. there is such a huge difference um so i i, I know that as, as a mom and as a professional honestly a whole lot more but when i sat here and i was reflecting on things i'm like wow your son has had a 504 plan for the last um, two or three years, um, and it is such a different ball game in comparison to um, how specific we have to be with special education, you know, um, services and plans and accommodations. We have to make sure those accommodations are actually working. Um, there is no checkpoint for him, and that's that's one of the big concerns they have. Um, so, if if you ever feel that your child was discriminated against because these accommodations were not implemented, know that you can ask for compensatory services under 504. But if you happen to have some emotional distress, I'm sorry, the there was a court case uh, called Cummings versus Premier Rehab and Kel- Re- Rehab Keller. Um, which said that Section 504 does not permit awards for damages due to emotional distress. So <laughs> just thought I'd add that note it came across. <laughs> All right. Anything else? I think I covered everything that I had in terms of notes. Just, you know, we'll keep following this debate and see what the the changes to Section 504, what, you know, the new, happens in the news. Keep following it and... Maybe I'll have a clubhouse one day and we're like, hey guys, learn about the changes to the Section 504. <laughs> Who knows when that will happen. I've seen some laws take 10 years to get passed. I was looking at one and every time they keep dying in committee, dying in committee, dying in committee. So um, we got a new legislative session happening this January for Texas and there will be some things to look forward to there and Hopefully some new laws that will come up that will 
have funding for things and um, make things easier. I have been telling myself that maybe we are working so hard because what we are doing is not working. And so that's why I started the clubhouse because I want to find things that work because obviously we seem to be working very hard and it seems to be because things that we are doing are not working. So um, just thought I'd throw that out there to a reminder. All right, everyone. Well, I will see you next week. I don't have a topic. Well, no, next week is September 2nd, right? Um, yes. No, August. We're in August. I don't have a, a speaker net yet until September 2nd, but maybe somebody will. Uh, no, wait, I have one on August 19th, I think. Um, August 19th. Yes, on August 19th, I have Penny Reed, Dr. Penny Reed. She is um, started assistive technology initiative in Wisconsin, and now she's doing something similar in Oregon. And she has evaluations for assistive technology. She's like the top guru for assistive technology assessments. And, um, and on September 2nd, I'm really excited because I have um, Dr. Kel Kelsey Reed, who um, has a campaign for S Sassy for Social Justice. So we're going to learn all about um, her efforts to change what she calls deficit thinking. So that is on September 2nd. And I'm still working on some other speakers. I'll, I'm just waiting for a lot of these professors to get back to their offices after the summer and the new um, semester happens. They'll probably start reading all the emails <laughs> in their boxes. So um, yeah, but thanks all for joining and I really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll see you next Friday and I will think of a good topic to talk about for next Friday.